0: Hello and welcome to yet another bonus episode of the Warfighter podcast. This has been recorded live at DSET 2023 in Bristol in front of a live audience. <laughs> we definitely didn't rehearse that earlier. Thank you, everybody. Before we start, Colin, welcome. Oh, testing, testing. It's got a roaming microphone like it. So, the normal format of the podcast is where we interview our guests pretty much one-on-one and try and get the, to the crux of their... Uh, Expertise, specialty, specialty or something area where they where they have a bugbear about. But for a live event, we wanted to try and have a panel, a bit of a deeper dive into a conversation, allow for a bit of back and forth. So that's why we've gone for this warfighter live approach. We've managed to round up some of the best minds on the topic, with experience kind of ranging from military, but British military, Australian military, Irish uh, military, and also SMEs coming from primes. And to top it off cherry on top of the cake is NATO as well. So I think we're going to have a great debate today. Audience participation is appreciated. And towards the end, please do try to keep your questions towards the end. And we'll try and use your brains as part of this discussion to take it that little, little bit further. So before we jump into that, I just want to do a bit of housekeeping and say, thank. Really nice. And the organisers of DSET and, and specifically TESS for organising and putting this together. I think it's been a, a great DSET 2023 so far. Also, Vray, over there being the sponsors for the episode. Again, organizations that are forward leading. Not every organization will want to support a kind of podcast and event like this. This is a new, new territory. So we do appreciate organizations that hopefully see the value in, in what we're doing. Colin. Right. So, new idea. Gone. Uh, we've launched something called the Warfighter Manifesto. It's in draft. <laughs> uh, probably not get published till version three, but I thought I'd read it out. Interesting feedback. Do you add to it, take away from it, or just tear it up. But we thought we'd write this really to have a bit of a refresh of how we do these things. You know, I'll go through it one by one. First one, there's only six, so don't worry. First one, we leave our egos and allegiances at the door. Now, one of those is going to be difficult, but we'll try. Being controversial or different should be encouraged. We want to fight. We call out obvious absurdities. I think sometimes there's a bit of emperor's clothes with this stuff. I think we should be brave. We aim to be constructively challenging. Number five, we are not afraid of stupid questions. That's one for Tom. That's definitely um, In the nicest possible way. Uh, and six, bring a sense of humor. Um, any yeah. other thoughts on that? Send an email to Tom. <laughs> and, you know, that's the, the reason why we want to see that is because panel debates can sometimes, so, of course, all the ones D set are, are wonderful and brilliant, but sometimes at other events, they can sometimes be a little bit, maybe stale is not the right word, but a bit slow and everyone's trying to be proper and trying to present maybe the company's angle or whatever it might be. What we're trying to get with this is we want the brains around the table and their experiences, not necessarily their company's opinion. And we want to dig deeper into the conversation and ask the stupid questions, which genuinely was written on one of my operational tour reports. That's that constable Doesn't mind asking the bone question, which I'm not <laughs> sure was the best uh, thing written on it. Um, so the other thing I'll add, um, and this is definitely for Colin, is I have an air horn. Um, so that air horn is here for if Colin goes over a topic, I can then sit back and blow the air horn to let him know that he's been waffling on for too long and we can actually move on to the conversation. Is that it? Are we happy with this? Well, without further ado, I think we should start introducing our uh, panel. Um, I'm going to start at the far end. Um, Please introduce yourself. Yeah, uh, good afternoon, everyone. Uh, my name is Wim Hauskamp. In my day job, I'm a Chief Scientist Modeling and Simulation at, you know, uh, Defense Research in the Netherlands. Um, I'm also very much involved in the NATO Modeling and Simulation Group, uh, former chairman of the NMG and current uh, scientific advisor to the NMG. Hi, everyone. I'm Adam Easton. Uh, my background is former Australian Army. Uh, after that, I did a, a PhD uh, at Oxford University uh, in robotics and simulation. And for the last decade or so, uh, I've been running uh, Simcentric Technologies, which is a, an SME uh, focusing mainly on kind of software development in the simulation space, uh, focusing heavily on the Unreal Engine development and looking at use cases like virtual reality-based training, uh, joint-fires training, uh, and live-range safety and factory-side prevention. Hi, everyone. i uh, Neil Kern. I'm the R&D lead at Frey. I'm also the product owner for a data analytics tool for training simulations called HEAT. Uh, 20 years of service in the Irish Defence Forces as a cavalry officer. Um, I served three trips overseas, Mali, Chad, and Lebanon. And uh, then I was employed in strategic planning, uh, finance, and as an instructor in the cavalry uh, training school. Hi, good afternoon, everyone. I'm Lisa Walton. I'm the head of training at BA Systems. Uh, 15 years in industry and engineers in the Please don't hate me. Project management by background. So, uh, without further ado, let's jump into the questions. So, the first question is, this word platform, what does it mean to you, Lucy? Yeah, so I'm pretty sure if you ask everyone in the room, they'll all have a different definition for platform, it's certainly a hot topic at the moment. I think, for me, the word platform very much refers to um, an approach. It refers to um, a versatile and scalable foundation, um, and it's a framework in which we can build on, and it should really enable um, the various components and applications and services to come together in, in very much that collaborative fashion. Yeah. Uh for me, um, with my cavalry officer background, I guess I see a platform from the like an AFE platform perspective, where it's a mix of a vehicle system, a weapon system, radio system, and life support system. So, for a simulation platform, a simulation platform, I see it as that fusion of. Hardware and software application, data analytics tools, storage, servers, and so on, to make a training simulation capability. Glad you brought up cars. <laughs> so, Adam, what, what's, your, what's your yeah? Topic? I guess taking a step back, I kind of see a platform as as fulfilling two major roles. So the first one is, I guess, to take the kind of academic term, standing on the shoulders of giants. The idea is to make it easier for providers to develop uh, services and solutions. And provide them to defense by providing a kind of framework that they can plug into. So rather than having to build the entire thing, ideally you can build some small component that you are a specialist at or that you're very good at doing and that should, in the perfect world, work with everything else. And there are all sorts of challenges to that board, as I'm sure discuss. The other element of this is also in distribution. So from the user perspective, how do you make it really easy for the users to access this technology? Um, and again, the best analogy to that is looking at the other app store, whether it be kind of yeah Google, or Apple, and things like that for mobile apps. So we don't even think about how we get these apps onto our phones anymore. Um, it's just you go to the app store and, and pull that down. So again, uh, ideally, a platform manages the distribution of that technology to users, but also makes it very easy to uh, to minimise the effort and minimise the rework that needs to be going into develop technologies for that. And I think a good platform needs to do both, both of which is pretty hard. I don't think I have a lot to add to uh, what the previous speaker said. It is a stable platform to build upon a framework. I think it's, uh, it goes beyond just the technical agreements. Uh, it also includes the, 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 processes and the governance on how do you deal with that and how you maintain it. Yeah, that's an important point and I'm nicely segueing into the next question, which we'll start with you when we're going around. Um, by the way, I was thinking about trains, just so people know. Uh, so, with the platform approach, how does, can this help improve in, interoperability? Well, as I just said, I, I think a platform concept can only work if you have a, a clear set of agreements on how to add components, on how to build on top of that platform. So you, you need to be clear about what the, the functionality is of these different components, what they are supposed to do and uh, how they interface together, what sort of the design pattern is of how the different elements of a platform or build on top of a platform are supposed to work together. So that's where standards um, show up. Standards are the agreement, a contract between uh, the different components of a platform and the basic functionality that a platform already provides for you. I couldn't agree with more than that. I think the key element to a platform is those contracts between the components that plug into it. So I mean, a platform is something that a lot of things can plug into. And I think what's been, I won't say what's been missing, because I think a lot of people are talking about it, but I think what's been overlooked is the key importance and the key ingredient of the platform approach is having a really clear and detailed definition of these kind of contracts so that industry like mine can actually build applications and plan ahead to build applications that fit into that uh, with the, the architectures that we're working on. Whereas, yeah, I mean, I think trying to look holistically is how you're going kind to of develop a platform doesn't really work until you've worked out exactly what those interface layers need to be. So that sounds like we don't throw away all that standard work standards work we've been doing and sort of build on it. and Yeah, I mean in my view the perfect world for a platform is actually a collection of standards that have been developed and tested by industry over time. the, The challenge we have is that the development of standards is really slow. Not because of any lack of effort but just because of the consensus and the way that they evolve it can kind of take years and years and years and technology is evolving faster than that. So, People need to do the homework to actually define what those contract layers are and interface layers between the applications, because without that, I think any attempt to, to take a platform approach is going to result in a suboptimal outcome. So you kind of answered the next question, so I'm going to ask Neil the next <laughs> question. It's like you can cheat horribly. Can platforms drive the adoption of standards? <laughs> well, they should, as was highlighted. Should. But I don't think we're there yet. I'm going to use a phrase. a I was in the military, and we they talked about ISTAR. First of all, uh, I asked, "Oh, what's ISTAR?" And someone said, "Oh, it's a system of systems." I was what like, "What does that mean?" And uh, I think, uh, in terms of like interoperability and standards, I think you need platform of platforms uh, to, to use that term, um, and you need things to work together. And I think the w- weakest link in terms of standards for training simulation platforms is the data side of things, human performance data, and extracting that data to improve human performance. So I think if you look at a platform as a system where the whole should be greater than some of its parts, uh, and you look at the relationship between the various parts, there are weaknesses, and some of the weaknesses is designing training simulations around the data requirements of the end users, so the training instructors and so on. I feel that's still probably the weakest part of this whole. Thing. Maybe the... Question could be phrased better, but I guess it came from is just having the platform enough to drive the standards, or do we need to sort of make a special effort? I think a lot of you on what you need to do in addition. I think probably from my perspective, we do. I think um, there's kind of a, a role that industry has to play now in being open minded to the commercial construct changing, and I think it's exactly the same from a military perspective. So I think we're starting to test new commercial boundaries. Historically, industry have always been very much um, around protecting their own intellectual property. Actually, it is that always the right answer. How do we, how do we change the commercial construct and change at the same time as developing standards? Um, I think both are as important because you can have all the standards you want the industry then don't want to play in this open market um, and they still make their products less less accessible or make it harder small and medium enterprises to access. We're still in a challenging situation. so we've got to speed up standards and we need them. But we can't allow standards to slow down the pace of, of what we can do from an innovation perspective. And with that, needs to come commercial innovation. I'm not sure we're there yet from a commercial innovation perspective. Contrasted with we NATO, NATO hats on, what's your take on this? Yeah. So, um, within, NATO, within the NATO Modeling and Simulation Group, we are working on these platform concepts. Um, two examples the, the reference architectures that we are working on. Uh, related to um, modeling and simulation as a service. The whole idea of splitting up or composing a, a simulation solution based on components, services provided by uh, by, by different uh, suppliers. Um, and in order to make that work, you, you need the technology, you need the, the framework or the platform, if you will, uh, with all the agreements, and you also need the... Um, yeah, the, the marketplace where you can offer these services and where you can discover new services. And I think we need that not just because it's more efficient, but also because it would help us to speed up the delivery of products. We need to be more flexible. You can see that in uh, in, in, in the current uh, situation in, uh, in, in Ukraine, the battlefield changes very rapidly. And we just can't afford to wait five years until the next midlife update of our training system to... Meet those needs and to meet those, uh, those challenges. We need to be much more flexible and agile. And in order to do that, we need this, this common platform to build upon. Uh, nobody can do all that work by himself. We, we need to share and pool. That's an important point. I wasn't the standards, these slow moving things that evolve over years. It's actually, when you get them right, it's about being responsive because you can, you can get, make things happen. So thank you. That's a good point. Next, so next question, um, this one's for Lucy to start. Sort of slightly related again, but e- are ecosystems important for a platform? Can we have a platform and not have an ecosystem or are they integral? So, so from my perspective, I think they're really integral because I think they bring a diversity of thoughts. So I don't think any, I think the phrase is that you know, no one has the monopoly really on good ideas. So for me, having an ecosystem where you have all the different perspectives, the different domain expertise, just brings together a whole different a whole different array of uh, options. I always come at something from a very air centric perspective because that's very much my background. If you look at that from from different perspectives and um, different SMEs, then I think you'll get a different outcome that that challenges the norm. I also think it drives competition, which I think is a really healthy thing in industry so that you don't end up stuck with the monopoly with one one industry player. Um, And it drives people to continually improve on what they're doing as opposed to getting complacent. And that's what we should be doing for our customers, continually striving to be better. Yeah, I I agree slightly different take on, on what an ecosystem would look like in the sense of the kind of triple helix, the, the academia, SMEs, uh, industry, and uh, and then also ultimately the military as well. How they engage together and having events like this uh, and those networking events and the relationship between those entities, uh, I think is is my interpretation of, of an ecosystem. Uh, in my view is that absolutely essential to make a platform worthwhile because there's a lot of development that needs to go into building the, the underlying the integration layers and the platform itself. So without an ecosystem, that's just not worthwhile doing. I think one of the challenges becomes how do you enable that ecosystem to kind of develop and flow alongside it? And I think that part of that is, again, defining clearly how bits of, of technology can interface into that platform, and that means, again, exposing standards and or API interface layers that have got defined by government or industry or however it's done those need to be defined so people can clearly build them and it will take years for people to be able to kind of migrate their technology initially to kind of plug into the kind of frameworks that we're talking about so I don't see this as being a kind of quick quick win or a quick process at all it's going to take a number of times so th- there needs to be a big lead time there in order to do it and largely because of that lead time though I think that the rushing into these development of kind of platform approaches I think is going to be very problematic because I think it's just going to take a long time for industry to kind of pivot their technologies to support that because at the moment that platform approach is, is not the way that we do business. We, we are very good at, at having individual applications and individual technologies that work together and we're getting better and better at making things work together as an industry. But I think the real platform approach of having these really modular service-based parts that just plug together and aren't really a thing on their own and really need the entire platform to be able to to run as a holistic training tool. It's going to take a long time to get there, and I think the work that NATO and others are doing for R&D is essential, but I'm concerned that there's the technical challenge of building the thing, but then the change management challenge that we have as an industry is going to be huge, and I think that needs to be appreciated. So, so for Wim, is, that, is the ecosystem is an important part of the NATO view? I think we need the ecosystem to populate um, the, the, the platform, environment. Otherwise, it will be empty. It will just be a, an empty framework with maybe one or two examples that uh, the developers of the framework uh, used to, to test the whole idea. Uh, it needs to be open. And um, th- that will also enable um, incremental improvement of the different services as long as we can keep the, the interfaces and the agreements more or less uh, stable. Uh, individual services can evolve over time. Um, of course, the whole platform and all the agreements will also need some uh, maturing and evolving and, and that, that's what we we try to implement in the in the reference architectures that we are working on we we, we need to build something that is suitable to evolve over time it's it's not a static uh, solution and and the way we tackle it is um by by not trying to reinvent the wheel. We we do build on existing standards, and we know that there's a lot of legacy uh, out there that needs to be integrated in that environment. Uh, But we also want to work towards a vision, uh, sort of a roadmap for the future, where we want to be in in five years, in 10 years. Um, And uh, and we we need the contributions from all the the partners in that ELEX, the triple ELEX, that you mentioned to make that happen. So next question, really, is one, pick on Adam to start. Who's best place to run a platform, industry or government? Choose one. Okay. Well, if I've got to choose one, it's going to be government. Um, I mean, my, my view very much is that you know, openness is going to be the key to, to this working. I think the second you have any form of kind of vendor lock-in and proprietary elements, particularly on any interface layer, then you've defeated the primary benefit of going to the platform approach. And that primary benefit is that it reduces the, well, it opens up the playing field for, for more for more participants, uh, and the second you then have commercial interests that play controlling elements of that, then you get, get commercial decisions that will exclude vendors uh, for whatever reason, and then all of a sudden, in that way madness, madness lies. So, yeah, my view very much is it should be a uh, yeah, a government led uh, approach. That's not to say that you have to have people want. Of civil servants or public servants building the thing I mean absolutely get industry to do it but government needs to own the rights and uh, yeah really own those interface layers and ideally make them as public and open as possible because that's the way a vision like this will succeed I don't personally see it succeeding any other way they also will be I, I wonder what would government be able to do that and it's so slow moving um yeah I just I, I wonder is there any other is there examples of governments, yeah, owning a platform. But, you know, does anyone have any examples? And, like, I'm running a platform. I can't think of any but, oh, well, maybe train, track, that, that was industry. <laughs> bad, bad example. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's, yeah. A bad That's a bad one. Maybe not necessarily government, but it's it's open organizations. Uh, open uh, organizations like SISO, like IEEE, they should maintain uh, the standards and the framework and everything uh, surrounding it. Uh, and, and government can play a major role, of course, or government funded organizations to move that forward. Um, otherwise, it, it won't happen. I mean, we, we need the resources, we need the expertise, and of course, we need the requirement side as well. This is what we need and go do it. But the end result should be open, it should be, well, not proprietary. That That doesn't mean that. We, we cannot use solutions that are already available on the table. That's what we do in NATO as well. We don't reinvent the wheel. If we get a good standard that's out there already in, in the civilian domain, we adopt it. We just wrap a Stanak or a around it and that's it. Um, but the condition is that it is an open standard and that the original developer sort of re- releases or relinquishes, uh, the ownership and it's the, the continued development is in the open, uh, the open domain. So I I think the guys have covered it really well, but it's a combination for me. Um, You've got to be cautious that you don't end up with industry driving the behaviours and and locking the people out because that's when you stifle innovation. Um, But I think it's around, actually, it's the framework, the governance and the standards and then making sure that you, you do have that flexibility with who is priming all your industry vendors that are in there and ensuring it's open architecture for new technologies and new suppliers coming online. But I think a combination is probably the most most appropriate way forward because I don't think anyone can do it on their own. Yep, interesting point. Okay, we're going to play devil's advocate. Wim, what are the dangers of the platform approach? Um, We should make sure that uh, we don't maybe try to uh, uh, come up with a one-size-fits-all. I don't necessarily think that there's one platform solution for every problem in the whole world, even in the simulation domain. We should look at um, what we need, and, and there can be maybe different implementations of uh, the same concepts, uh, depending on on specific needs. Um, of course, you should try to make it as as general as possible. Um, but um, yeah, keep an keep an open mind, and, and and also make sure that you continue to pay attention to uh, to performance demands that can be different in different uh, domains. So um, yeah. It's not a, not necessarily a one size fits all. Uh, it, it needs to be um it needs to be fit for purpose for the for the application I wanna throw a curveball here and say well, you could end up if you look at other ecosystem platforms, you end up sort of duopoly. So yep. many you have many platforms this is not enough business. You don't want one, you might have two that sort of effectively monopoly. Is that is that sort of the Yeah, I mean I think that kind of talks to two different risks so I mean or, or complications so number one is that we should all be asking ourselves is the defense simulation industry and the defense users of simulation is that a big enough industry is there a big enough user base to drive the necessity for the amount of investment that we need to put into building a platform approach because I mean of course yeah absolutely it makes sense for Apple or Google to build app stores because they're servicing millions and millions of people but and when we think about the numbers of people that we're distributing our software to in the defense space, I think it's a legitimate question to ask: is 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 there a big enough user base there to justify the, the additional complexity of building a kind of platform delivery mechanism that's in there? But then, of course, the other risk that speaks to is kind of yeah, is the vendor locking one again. That as soon as you have, um, yeah, a and depending on how you structure it, but a platform or, or multiple platforms, you're never going to get. A large number of platforms that uh, proliferate across, because again, the investment involved in building and maintaining these things, and also, I suspect, just the user difficulty in terms of understanding how to use the platforms and things like that is just so great. So you are then going to kind of limit yourself to get to a a subset of technology and potentially not get the ability to bring in different technologies. It is a danger. I mean, I'm not saying it's definitely going to happen. So, um, yeah, I mean, I think there are there are definitely risks there With the, and i would say yeah you need to look carefully at do we have enough users in the simulation military simulation community to justify the platform approach and secondly how do we avoid what i think is the biggest risk which is kind of been lock. lucy do you share that or in a different take yeah i would absolutely share the point and it it does go back to those um open standards but i think it's around looking at the use cases for a platform as well so you instantly go to training as as a great use case for the platform But if we can have a look at it across the whole mission cycle, everything from operational analysis, testing evaluation, mission readiness on the right-hand side, does that grow the user base? But again, let's make sure it's not locked into one person. Um, But I think if you look across the whole mission cycle, that's when you really start to see the value in the investment that you're making in the platform approach. Do you have any fears, any other fears or dangers, that things can go wrong with this approach? Um, I think, I, I guess it's just making sure that we don't get too far down a development path those standards catch up, so I think it was your point before, but I think it's making sure we're using those R&D projects and really drawing the insights to develop those standards now, um, so are we actually pulling together all of the knowledge and the insights from across industry that, that people are uh, realising through development projects, or is the more that we can, we can do to bring that together, and, and that's really what the NATO modern simulation group is looking to do. Yeah, if I could add to that, because the human performance data standards, if they were there, like for us as one company, it, 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 it's not advantageous for there to be standards. Uh, Lucy's alluded to it as well. But, however, as a, as a, the ecosystem, it all benefits if there is a standard, and it forces us to up our game. So, if I, I use the example of of um, fitness performance data, so you have multiple um, uh, applications for looking at uh, fitness data. Now, you have Strava, Map My Ride, Map My Run. Training bases, all based on the same standard of data, data standard. .gps, Fish, and so on. That, because that standard was set, it allowed other all competitors to come in and uh, and compete on their data analytics ability, their prediction ability, and so on. So that that's part of this platform that the data analytics part of it. Uh, that if that standard is set, it, it leads that competitive competition. Yeah, interesting. So. I think we're going to finish up with the last one. I'm going to start with Adam this time. So how do we avoid platforms just becoming a marketing term for all of the above? I guess some of this is thinking, is this just branding exercise? How do we make it meaningful? Because is it not something we've already got? I don't yes. know. That's question. Well, that's, that's exactly it. I mean, in my view, we have to stop thinking of a platform as a thing that's going to be delivered under a, a bit of software that will give us our, our platform or our program. Actually, what I think most healthy way to think about a platform is, is a strengthening of these standards. And it doesn't even have to be standards, but a strengthening of defined open interface layers that are, are published. And that can be something that government can choose to define for itself as part of requiring software. But there's no reason that you have to suddenly have a platform delivered in one chunk at a time. We can strengthen those standards. And so that the bits of software have more and more increasingly open layers between them. And yeah, over time, we naturally move more towards that, that platform approach. Break up large monolithic bits of software by kind of insisting when you're recompeting them that you want to have a particular interface layer. So, taking data analytics, there's no reason that we shouldn't have a very clear data analytics layer to be able to pull data out of any bit of software that's deployed. And then all of a sudden, that becomes kind of pseudo that you can plug something into a platform that way. So, I think we start thinking about moving to a platform as an evolution and strengthening of the standards and the API layers between between applications that prevents you know, this idea of just trying to label something as a black box. When, what do you think? I think we, we can look at into the future a little bit or predict what the future will bring. I think right now we, we still need to stick with the, um, the more traditional way of talking about standards and interoperability and APIs and, and so forth, and, and we have good solutions for that. Um, we, we need to agree on those and, and use them as the baseline for these uh, platforms. In the future, I think technology will evolve and we'll be able to do this uh, more easily and more flexibly. Uh, I think in the future we'll see um, simulation tools or whatever so software that can sort of self-document what their interface is and what kind of data they produce. And we'll have uh, very smart tools uh, that can figure out how to make these systems talk together but we're not there yet but i think that that will happen we we already see some examples in the r&d domain where where that is uh, going on but for for now i think we we need to build on our existing standards and uh, and evolve them over time and and improve them and and do this in a much more structured way than we currently uh, do it and 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 i think the only way to speed it up is uh, by um, getting more people on board to do the development work. I mean, it's standardization work. And, and for example, CISO is very often uh, sort of a volunteer uh, work. They're not really funded to, to do that. It's in their own interest. So people spend some time on publishing and developing a standard. But organizations, especially MOD, uh, needs to be more aware of what standards are important and critical for our business, for our Objectives and put the effort in. Interesting turn phrase, what, uh, Neil. What do you think? So that platform won't be just used as another term for stuff. Uh, I think the first thing is define platform uh, so that we all have the same understanding of it. And then I would see products, uh, contracts using the term, uh, and everyone has a, a has the same understanding of it. Uh, then it won't be just a generic term like system of systems. Yeah, I was thinking. Obviously, like an anatomy of the platform. What What are the components you each under, understand what that is, and then whether you're pointing to something standard set or this is yeah. a new thing we haven't developed yet. I'll, I'll let Lucy finish on that. So, I think for me, I think the first thing is clarity of purpose for what the platform is trying to actually solve. So, don't use it as a buzzword. What are the, What are the problems that we're actually trying to solve? And I think the second one for me is, is all about integration. And it, it's kind of a common concern I, I share with when we've introduced some technology into training systems. We love to inject a little bit of technology without really understanding, is it moving the needle on training? So making sure it's integrated into a, a bigger system um, is, is really key for me, as opposed to just being a bag of bits um, that aren't all integrated and interoperating. So clarity of purpose to solve problems and integration, I think, are the two things that are going to be key. Right, some of those things that show and tell to go. Ah, that's what it solves, as opposed to, ah, this is this is the magic box that will fix all of your problems, which probably doesn't exist. Um, Tom, I think thank you all. That was excellent and really great to have a spectrum of views. That uh, there's not enough disagreement, as far as I'm concerned, but uh, that's a good start. You know, we'll get better at this. Um, Tom, I think you were going to ask a, a bit of a fun question at the end. I was checking out from it. Okay. Uh, I'll do it anyway. Okay, fine. I've got some questions for you audience, actually, but I'll come back to that in a second, because Colin's now prepped it and primed it. I'm going to go there. But if you, did, if you couldn't use the word platform, from what we've discussing when it comes to defense simulation, what word or phrase would you prefer to use within that term uh, reference architecture? And, and and the reference architecture is a rather uh, abstract uh, notion of a platform. You, you'll need, need to implement it and to call that the solution architecture, or the the way you implement the reference. So the reference um, describes the the services that you expect to see in that environment, what the what their, uh, their functionality is, and how they work together. So I would not disagree with that. If I, I guess in my serious hat on, I'd be talking about yeah, kind of yeah, open systems architecture as being a way of kind of describing it. Um, I think the danger is not always to be a bit flippant with kind of us thinking about a platform as a Mr. Potato Head. You kind of think about the children. You have the, you buy the potato and different arms on and different goggles and stash and things like that. I think we start thinking about platforms that way as this big thing that you buy that you can bolt stuff onto. That's not going to work so well. So I, I think absolutely trying to take that step back to the system. Yeah, that's a tough question. I think I'd probably go with system, but it's not a word I'd prefer to use instead of platform. Chat GPT yeah. For a good answer. <laughs> um, I think uh, probably for me, I, w- I was going to actually say integration, but I think maybe configuration. Having, having uh, listened to, to Adam's view, I absolutely agree. It's around that application base and being able to change the third party plugins. Configuration. Nice to find another chat GPT aficionado in the in the audience, or in the panel, so thank you for that as well. I've got a couple questions for, for well, one for the audience, then one for the panel, but is anyone here, i of interested, anyone here? kind of think that the platform, there are benefits for the platform being owned by an industry. I we'll want to add to that discussion, I'll be devil's advocate and give some positive so for that. Okay, interesting. For the benefit of the podcast, nobody's going to say anything. I'm their hands up. Uh, and then going on to, I know I've been listening to you guys talk and it's a lot of we, we need to be much more agile, we need to be much more flexible, There's lots of we. But, but I think when you were saying we, we were actually talking about government. When you're at the time, because we're talking about, okay, if government is going to have to own the platform, here's a Tom's stupid question that I'm sure probably the audience will be able to say, well, of course, this is the people. What, within, let's say, the UK, within the UK government, and we're going to build a defensive simulation platform, where would you as a panel be looking for direction from to be able to specify that framework, that that platform? Yeah, well, I guess my view is that MOD should be spending, and uh, not just UK MOD, I mean, this is across. Globally, I think that we should be spending more on understanding that these standards need to be funded. So the money needs to be put towards those, put less towards the big programs and your big simulation solutions and more towards actually defining how that's those interface layers should be. And it's kind of, it's not as glamorous as, you know, the big shiny dome system that you're going to kind of put somewhere. But actually, in the long run, I think it's going to save defense a lot more money by investing more heavily in, in this area. I know. In and terms of where, who, which organization would you want to see this or think you could come out of? Well, I mean, I think Jim's many organizations that he's involved with are doing great work in terms of doing this. DSTL, I know, is kind of looking at this, but I think it, it has to be, yeah, you know, I, I guess R&D programs that involve industry as well, because I think until you, you do that, and I think the problem at the moment is that, I mean, so much of the work on standards is, is self-funded by industry. So you know, government has taken a position that it shouldn't be the ones defining standards. The standards should be kind of developed by industry together. And that works, but it's slow and it's self-funded. It doesn't have the the focus and presence of mind. Whereas I can guarantee when contracts are starting to be placed for people to work together and put together consortiums to define standards, then there will be a lot more focus from industry in terms of moving that forward faster. So I, mean, I think the answer is you know, there has to be money put behind it to, to encourage industry to prioritize it. Until that happens, it will continue to. Continue rest like of happens now. So DSTEL is very much involved um, in reference architecture for uh, distributed synthetic training and for the MS as a service uh, model mm-hmm. um, and, and the, uh, the UK uses these guidelines produced by the NMG through your, I think it's called it DMSO as well, uh, yep. Grant Bailey, so... That, and that same is, is true in the Netherlands. We we use the NATO standards, the NATO uh, modeling and simulation publication, as guidelines for national uh, policies. So that that's already a good start. Mm-hmm. But you're right, I, I think uh, we need to put more effort in it. And sort of an additional role of uh, the government side is you also need to write that in your procurement requirements. Thou shalt be compliant with so-and-so. Mm-hmm. And if... if uh, the, 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 uh, acquisition projects, if there's sort of stovepipes, uh, individual um, acquisitions that don't look beyond the sort of the, the borders of the different projects, then it will never happen. Then it will be in, independent individual solutions mm-hmm. that will have, struggle to work together later on. Yeah, I think that's right. and I think the procurement itself needs to outline what the standards or, or what the interface layers need to be. And if they don't exist, then the procurement itself should specify that the contractor needs to provide open source what the interface layer is going to be for MOD. In terms of then how they generate the requirements for where they should specify interfaces not, I think that's where you kind of draw on the experience of the SDL and other research organizations. But yeah, I think it, it really comes down to procurement. Every procurement should specify the interfaces Fine. that are important and that should be part of the procurement policy. Any more? Well, look, I, I think I'll just uh, wrap up. Thank you. That was an excellent, uh, set of responses we didn't manage to catch you out um, uh, so <laughs> well done uh, and thanks to the everyone that turned up uh, those that didn't they can I, I think they'll hear this, hear this next week which will be now if you're listening to it thank you everyone for, for coming it's been, been great uh, in terms of the Warfighter podcast you can find it just go onto LinkedIn that's the best place to find us and type in Warfighter podcast press follow and obviously you can send these newsletter there and that will keep you up to date all the episodes but yeah um, that's all from me. To uh, so like I can say is thank you so much to the panel.